Hey everyone, welcome to Study Acupuncture with me. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lai. So today's episode is on small intestine 7. And so why are we doing small intestine 7 today? Recently, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw that Anne commented on the Gan Mao post, the common cold post, saying, you are awesome. Can you tell me why do you choose SI7? So I said, all right, Anne, let's talk about it. I'm going to make a podcast on it. So today we're going to talk about small intestine 7. We're going to talk about where it is, what it does, and why it does what it do. So first, let's talk about where it is. Small intestine 7. It's located on your forearm, specifically on the ulnar side of your forearm, the pinky side. So if you look down at your forearm with your wrist supinated, meaning your palm is facing towards the ceiling, and remember, supinate and pronate. You can either supinate your wrist or pronate your wrist. When you pronate your wrist, you're turning your palm down to face towards the ground. When you supinate, your palm is facing towards the ceiling. Like when you turn a doorknob, you have to supinate your hand. When you hold a literal bowl of soup, you supinate your hand. Your hands are supinated. So look at your right hand, supinate your hand so your palm is facing the ceiling, and your forearm has two bones in it. So look at your forearm. On the pinky side is the ulna bone. On the thumb side is the radius bone. So you can call these sides of the forearm the radial side and the ulnar side. So small intestine, the line is on the ulnar side of the forearm. So to know where small intestine 7 is, you have to know that it's on a line connecting small intestine 5 to small intestine number 8. But where is it on the line? Small intestine 7 is 5 soon proximal to SI5. But where's SI5? SI5 is on your wrist. It's on the side of your wrist. It's on the ulnar side of your wrist. It's located between the head of your ulna bone and another bone known as the triquetral bone. So today we're talking a lot of anatomy. So triquetral, right, sounds kind of like a crazy name. It's one of your wrist bones. Triquetral bone is one of your eight wrist bones. And the easiest way to remember the bones of your wrist is to know that there are eight of them and that they're positioned in two rows of four. So right now you're listening to this in podcast form, but you can shoot over to the YouTube version of this to watch me explain this as well. So if you're listening to the podcast version, that's okay. We can still do this. Let's look down at our wrist. Let's look at our right wrist with our hand pronated. So your palm is facing the floor and the back of your hand is facing you. And at your wrist, imagine there's two rows of bones going horizontal, spanning across your wrist. And there's a proximal row, which starts at the base of your thumb, where your anatomical snuffbox is, where LI5 is, which is smack dab right in the middle of that anatomical snuffbox. And the snuffbox has a floor. And what is the floor of the anatomical snuffbox? The floor of the anatomical snuffbox is the scaphoid bone, which is one of the eight bones of the wrist. So at the base of your thumb is the scaphoid bone. So from left to right on the more proximal row, there's four bones there. The first is the scaphoid bone. So we're looking at our right hand, right, the back of your right wrist, and we're going to now name the proximal row. Which one was the first one again? It was the scaphoid bone, which is at the base of your thumb, and it's the floor of your anatomical snuffbox. After that, we have a bone called the lunate, and then we have a bone called the triquetrum, and then pisiform. So the proximal row is scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, and pisiform. 
And so now you're probably thinking, hey, I thought you told us that anatomy was easy, right? It's named for where it is. It's named for what it looks like, yada, yada. It's still true here, right? Because you just have to understand the root of scaphoid, it comes from Greek, meaning boat, because the scaphoid bone looks like a boat. So do we have a mnemonic for the wrist bones? Yes, of course we have a mnemonic for the wrist bones. So from the proximal row, from the thumb to the pinky, we have scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, and pisiform. So it starts with S, L, T as in triquetrum, and then P as in pisiform. So my favorite mnemonic for this one is so long to pinky. So long to pinky. So scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, pisiform. And you name it from the thumb to the pinky. So, so long to pinky. Right? Isn't that cool? So now with the distal row, we're going to go from pinky to thumb. So we're naming it in this counterclockwise rotation. So if we start from the proximal row again, scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, pisiform. And then we name the distal row from pinky to thumb. So we have hamate, capitate, trapezoid, and then trapezium, which is at the thumb. So hamate, capitate, trapezoid, trapezium, which is at the thumb. So let's repeat it one more time. Hamate, capitate, trapezoid, trapezium, which is at the thumb. So what's the mnemonic for the distal row? Let's go back to the proximal row first. We have so long to pinky, scaphoid, lunate, triquetrum, pisiform. Then distal row, we name from pinky to thumb. So hamate, capitate, trapezoid, trapezium. And so it's H-C-T-T. So the mnemonic here is, here comes the thumb. So if you put it together, so long to pinky, here comes the thumb. And what's great is that you go towards the pinky, then you go towards the thumb. So long to pinky, here comes the thumb. So SI5 is located on the ulnar side of the wrist. It's in this depression there, right? In this area between this head of the ulna and that triquetral bone that we were talking about. So when you palpate your small intestine points in general, SI1 is at the jingwell area of the pinky. And how I like to think about these first couple points in the SI channel is I think about it in terms of sections. We have a knuckle and then we have these carpals, these wrist bones. So if you palpate SI1, right, that's in the jingwell area. We know where jingwells are. And then you have SI2 and 3. Those are on either side of the knuckle, right? We have one more towards the finger and then one more towards your metacarpals. So SI2, SI3. And then you have SI4 and 5, which is basically on either side of the carpal bones as well. At least in my brain, that's how I compartmentalize them. All right, so now we know where SI5 is. So where's SI8? So SI8, SI8 is a point I, I love to hate because that's where your funny bone is, right? SI8 is where your funny bone is. So if you want to find SI8, you have to go to your elbow bone, right? That big hard bone, that's the tip of your elbow. It's called your olecranon, olecranon. And you have to find the medial epicondyle of the humerus as well. So olecranon and medial epicondyle of the humerus. So now between those two bony landmarks is SI8. So SI7 is on a line from SI5 to SI8. It's specifically five soon proximal 
to SI5. So how far is SI5 to SI8? Thankfully, SI5 to SI8 is 12 soon. Look at that. So simply, if we want to find SI7, actually, no, first, let's talk about how we needle SI7. When you needle SI7, usually I have my patient lying supine, right, with their chest facing the ceiling. And I usually have them have their hands either resting on their chest if I'm going to needle SI7, or I have them lay their hand to their side and I make sure that their hand is supinated as long as it's comfortable. If it's more comfortable with their hand on their chest or upper stomach area, then I leave it there. If it's more comfortable next to them, that's fine too. I just make sure it's supinated because I want to be able to access the ulnar side of their forearm. All right, so now we know that SI5 to SI8 is 12 soon. We know that SI7 is 5 soon proximal to SI5. So I need to find where 5 soon is. So we have to break out our cowabunga poles. So if I divide 12 soon in half using that cowabunga method, I can find where 6 soon is, which is the midpoint. So now how do I find 1 soon more? I can either take the width of their thumb, which is 1 soon, or I can divide 6 into three equal parts because six divided by three is two. And what is one half of two? It's one. So that's how we can find one soon down from the midpoint. So SI7 is located five soon proximal to SI5. It's on the line connecting SI5 to SI8. Okay, so that's where it is. So now how do we use it and why do we want to use it? So on my Instagram, which I apologize, actually, it has been crickets, I posted up an infographic of the common cold, otherwise known as gan mao in Chinese. And a Instagram user, Annie, commented asking why SI7 was chosen in this point prescription. So Annie, here's the answer and then some. So the short answer is that SI7 releases the exterior. And I know a lot of points release the exterior which is true, right? Acupuncture is very holistic. It goes in a big circle. There's more than one way to skin a cat, if you will. And there's more than one way to treat a person. Sometimes we may treat them from one perspective, sometimes from another perspective, because acupuncture is complementary. All the points, for the most part, complement each other. So SI7 releases the exterior. And to understand why, we have to remember the six stages. If you remember the six stages, you would remember that the most exterior stage is the Tai Yang stage. After that, we have Yang Ming stage, then we have Xiaoyang stage. That's where the patient's symptoms will pivot. And so now think about what are the channels associated with Tai Yang? Tai Yang, there's small intestine and there's urinary bladder. If you write out the full name of small intestine, it's hand Tai Yang. And then for urinary bladder, it's foot Tai Yang. So why can SI7 release the exterior with this knowledge? Because Taiyang is the most exterior of the six stages. It's the first stage that gets attacked by an EPF. So small intestine points, for the most part, a lot of them release the exterior because of the connection with Taiyang. So that's why in the case of Gan Mao, which is a common cold, you can use small intestine 7. And one more thing to note about Gan Mao and having a common cold and specifically using SI7 is to keep in mind the symptoms that your patients complain about. You want to use SI7, especially if they complain to you that they just started to have a cold and the back of their neck hurts, their upper back hurts, maybe even their mid to lower back 
hertz. Basically anywhere where SI, small intestine channel, and urinary bladder channel go to. Because the EPF, it's attacking the most exterior stage, small intestine, UB, Taiyang. So the pain in the SI and UB area would trigger you that you should needle SI7 to release the exterior. So why else would we want to use SI7? So in Deadman, SI7 clears heat, it releases the exterior. We establish that. It says it also calms the spirit. It says it also activates a channel, alleviates pain, and it benefits the finger joints. So in a previous podcast, we went over categorically Luo connecting points. And SI7 is a Luo connecting point. We covered three uses for Luo connecting point in episode number 17 of Study Acupuncture with me. But just to recap quickly, you can use a Luo connecting point to treat symptoms of the yin-yang pair. So SI7 can treat urinary bladder channel symptoms. Number two, with Luo points, you can treat a specific area that the Luo channel spreads to. SI7 spreads to the heart channel. It literally goes up the arm, connects with the heart channel. It also goes and connects with LI15 at the shoulder. So from a heart channel sense, SI7 can affect all things heart. For example, calming the spirit. And for example, other emotional issues like depression, anxiety, sadness. And that's actually a common way to also use low points. Low points can be used to treat psychological issues. So low connecting points can treat different psychological issues. In small intestines case, it can especially treat depression, fear. You can think about that from a correlation sense. What's the emotion of the urinary bladder? Fear. And then with that, there's anxiety, there's depression. And then lastly, but not leastly, low points can be used as part of a host-guest combination. So let's recap until now. SI7, located 5 soon proximal to SI5. SI5 to SI8 is 12 soon. SI7 is a low connecting point, and you can use SI7 to clear heat, release the exterior because it's part of the Taiyang, most exterior of the six stages, and then you can also use SI7 for its low point actions, its connection with the heart, depression, calming the spirit. Now, SI7 also has two interesting functions which we mentioned in Deadman. It can activate the channel, it can alleviate pain, and it can benefit the finger joints. It specifically says it can benefit the finger joints. So your metacarpophalangeal joints, your proximal interphalangeal joints, your distal interphalangeal joints. So those PIPs, those DIPs, those MCPs, your knuckles basically. Patients with osteoarthritis, patients with rheumatoid arthritis, patients with just localized pain in those joints. SI7 can benefit the finger joints. You can also think about it from a neurological sense. SI, the small intestine channel, it's located in the same trajectory as the ulnar nerve. Remember we talked about the funny bone before. SI8, literally that's where the ulnar nerve goes through. That's your ulnar nerve, your funny bone. Because when you hit that area, it sends a zing down your arm towards your pinky. And then it sort of makes you flap your arm like a chicken to make it go away. So the ulnar nerve literally passes SI8 and it tunnels into this literal tunnel that these elbow ligaments form. And that tunnel is called the cubital tunnel, which is where your funny bone is. So the ulnar nerve goes down through that tunnel and it goes into your hand via another tunnel that's known as the Guillain's canal. And that tunnel is made up of a hook, a hook of hamate, which is 
one of your wrist bones. There's a little hook on the hamate bone and it holds the ulnar nerve as it goes into your hand. And the ulnar nerve, it innervates a lot of different muscles in your hand, in your forearm, especially good for grip, opening and closing your hand, and even spreading and squeezing together your fingers. So using SI7 or any point along that ulnar nerve pathway would actually benefit the hand and the functions of the hand really well. And so there you have it. Now you know where SI7 is, you know what it does, and you know why it does what it do. And if you made it here, you know I can't let you leave without hearing today's positive quote. So today's positive quote is, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And when you look up this quote, a lot of different people try to take credit for this quote. So I'm just going to say the quote, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. So what are my thoughts on this? So if you're anything like me, you probably sometimes call yourself negative names or you say negative things to yourself. For me, especially after I have a super awkward encounter with someone where I'll meet someone and I'll try not to be as awkward as possible, I end up saying something awkward or being awkward. And then I just play that encounter over and over in my head all day and then just say, oh my gosh, I'm so awkward. That was so awkward. Why did I say this? Why didn't I say that? I should have said this, etc., etc. And And that's just me. So today, pay attention to what you say to yourself, because what you say to yourself, those words subconsciously get written on your heart and they manifest themselves more definitively over time. So build that intention into today. Catch yourself, the words that you're calling yourself or the automatic things that you say to yourself. Like, for example, I will say, oh, I'm so bad at remembering names. Or sometimes I'll even say like, oh, my, my recall is so bad. Like my ability to recall certain words. And so those are literal examples of me fighting for my limitations. And if I fight for them, I'm gonna keep them. So what I realize is I can't keep doing that. I have to say positive things. I have to change the narrative. I've been catching myself saying those things and say, no, I'm not forgetful. I'm really good at remembering names. I see a face, I tie an emotion to them, and I can remember their name all the time. So I try to give myself a pat on the back and change the narrative. For example, I'll try to say things like, I can recall things really well. I remember every person I meet. I am happy and one of my missions is to serve as many people as possible and to help them get through this journey. Those types of positive things written on your heart every single day, it's going to become more concrete over time. Things that you think that you do poorly, change the narrative. If you think like, I snack all the time, instead of saying that to yourself, say the exact opposite. Trust me, it's going to flip. And with that ends today's episode. I hope that wherever you are, you're doing amazing. If this episode was helpful to you, please click the share button, send it to someone, share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, send it in a direct message to somebody. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment. Just say hello. I'd love to hear from you. So until next time, God bless and happy studying.